You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. Yeah, Tommy's here. Aaron's here. This show is presented by Window Nation. Call them, 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. Tell them I told you to call. Scott Van Pelt in a little bit. Greg Wyshynski, the senior NHL writer at ESPN before that. He'll join us to talk about Tom Wilson's 20-game suspension and help preview the Caps' 2018 season, which got off to a ridiculously dominant Game one start last night. You were there, right? Yes, I was. I was there. Kevin, you know, the idea of a podcast is to have some flexibility, you know, and it's a beautiful day. Why aren't we doing this outside? That's a really good question. You know? I would love to be outside right yeah, now. Yeah, be outside like let's, this. Let's move it outside. Yeah, that'd be How a good idea. How do we do idea. that, How do we do that? Uh, we can't. I don't know. We I don't can't. know. We can't do that is the answer. We could open up some windows. And when are we, gonna, when are we moving out of here, chatter, and into the Washington Post studios? <laughs> uh, the Washington Post studios won't have us because of you. <laughs> I checked on that. Uh, but we have found another <laughs> studio uh, that we'll be moving into. Um, I wanted to say this, and then I wanted to get your uh, impressions. First of all... I don't do impressions, by the way. Um, you ahead. don't. Actually, you really don't do any. Um, it was a... I thought I thought the night as a whole was well done. I thought it was a well done, emotional night. Um, the only thing missing was no reference anywhere to old Trotzy. <laughs> All right, Trotzy apparently had nothing to do with this. I thought uh, John Walton. It's John Walton, right? The yes, play-by-play yes, guy. Yes, John Walton. Um, I thought he did an excellent job. Very good it. job. Really good job. That's not an easy thing no, to do. No, it's not. Um, I thought Ted's speech was thankfully short. You never know with him. Sometimes it's war and peace with Ted, but he did a great job. Um, Again, other than, and some people had a problem with this, not recognizing at all Barry Trotz for his role. He was the coach. Of their of the franchise's first ever Stanley Cup team. You wouldn't have known it last night. The game itself. Which was really petty. I mean, it was, look, people, most, I mean, it's not a big deal in the sense that it's something that didn't happen. And there were so many great things that happened, it's going to get overshadowed. But really, I mean, it still speaks to the pettiness uh, of the organization. Now, you don't even mention Barry So wh- why didn't they? Because they're probably mad at him because he made them look bad. Because he, you know, because he didn't take the pennies that they that they were giving him. Oh God! You know, and he wanted he wanted to get paid after winning the only Stanley Cup in the history of the franchise. Not only that, Reards didn't even mention him in his post game press conference. Even a little bone. Is it Reards? No, that's my own. Thing. Oh, okay. I don't know. That's my, my my little thing. But but again, you're right about everything else. It was a first class night. It really was. And 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 Ted, you know, I I remember sitting through. Uh, Cal Ripken post game when he broke Lou Gehrig's record up in up in Camden Yards, and listening to Ted's Greek compadre Peter Angelos drone on for about twenty to twenty five minutes, and I know I know how sometimes owners can get caught up in that moment. Right, Ted didn't. He did not. I was actually that for me was a surprising thing because you and I both know that Ted can go on and on and on. Brevity is not his strength. Well, he had he had a deadline though. I mean, it was he was great last night. It was pregame. If it was postgame, it might have gone longer. The whole look. You and I have talked about him a lot over the years, especially when we had that opportunity to sit down with him for two hours in one of those lunch with a legend things that we did at uh, at Morton's years ago. Um, 
there are a lot of things I think he's gotten a free pass on over the years in town. Right now, he's getting a free pass on sitting on his NBA team's bench, which nobody does in sports. No owner sits on their team's bench. Cuban sits a row or two behind the bench. Arthur Blank is on the sidelines, but not the entire game. No, Jerry Jones the end comes the down. But that, that's beside the point. It has always been when you go to a Caps game, and I feel the same way about a Wizards game, a first-rate consumer experience. He has known how to do that from the get-go, from the jump. It's one of the reasons that his businesses, the hockey business in particular, has done so well even before winning a Stanley Cup. And last night was another example of it, Tommy. The whole night, with the exception of, if you want to call it pettiness, um, uh, uh, with respect to not mentioning trots, just was a first-rate night, and then it was topped off by a seven to nothing yeah. win that started off with two goals. Seconds. And, yeah, not 19 go- seconds. Yeah, 19 seconds. And first two, goal and the scored. second one in, at like a minute 47. Yeah. It was really. And then the. Did, did you stay till the end? Oh, yeah. So how about the Marshan beatdown of Lars Eller? It, it, Kevin, it was unbelievable. I mean, if that happened while uh, on the street. You'd be arrested. Not in the 1980s, it wouldn't. Have. No, no, it's still, you'd be arrested because one guy clearly did not want to fight. Right. And that was Lars Eller. I know. He and, didn't, he, and, and, and that shouldn't happen. Look, I, I think hockey fights are stupid to begin with. I think that the game could do well without it totally. But I when, sort of like when it, one guy doesn't want to fight clearly. Yeah, why is that? I mean, he got hit twice. Uh, and, hard. and that temple shot, that shot to yes. the temple. I've seen guys in rings get knocked out. How many from games will Marshawn like get for that? I don't know. Look, I don't know how many times Marshawn has been before the uh, the uh, disciplinary committee with the NHL over the past uh, two years, like uh, our boy Tom Wilson has. So I don't know how many games he's had. But uh, Lars Eller had blood pouring down the side of his head. I know. I felt badly for him. Really. But, you know, he <laughs> did. He did. I mean, look, I'm not condoning it. You think he showboated? He showboated a little bit in front, in front of the Bruins I didn't bench. think it was that bad. It, well, it didn't warrant that kind of beatdown. <laughs> no, I didn't think so sure. either. So what, do you, so what do we think about Tom Wilson's 20-game suspension, which caught me off guard? Now, now, Joe B. was on with us yesterday on the podcast, and he was expecting – he was the first that I heard say, this is going to be much more than just four to six games. He ex- I think uh- – Joe B. thought it would go till the end of the month. He thought it was going to be for the month of October. And what we got was until the end of November. We get 20 games. Yes. Uh, that look, was more I, than anybody thought. Uh, it was much more. It, it was breathtaking. And, and I mean, when people said, re- heard about it, they said, oh, my God. They, they couldn't believe it. But, you know, to me – he earned it. I mean, he earned it. I mean, the the, the people who did because who, of his past trans, yes, transgressions. Because, I mean, imagine sitting in a room with this guy a few months ago, and you've told him the la- next time you do, and that's the third time you've met with him in like fifteen months, and you you've probably told him. I said you can't be in here again. You can, and you come in a couple months later for a preseason game. You know what it was, Tommy? It's the parent that tries the timeout method. It's like putting you in timeout. Don't do that again. And then the parents are finally like, these timeouts don't work. You're grounded for a month. And by the way, have you seen my belt? <laughs> Can't talk about that in this day and age. Uh, and you are coming home. There's no TV. There's no friends. It's two weeks, nothing. And that's essentially because that hit. 
was nowhere near what the Aston Reese hit was. No, no, it wasn't. It, it I was, didn't even think it was that big of a deal. It was the idea that this guy is not listening to us, right. so we need to make him listen. Now, here's the here's the, the the dangerous part for the Capitals. Tom Wilson had already established his presence on the ice as a player to be feared. He is all he was already in the heads of opponents. So, I mean, he he didn't have to do anything else and people would have their heads on a swivel when he's on the ice. Now, what he's done is he's taken that power away from himself because now if you're opposing coach, you're saying to you're a player, him. You're go get him. him. Yeah. Go get him because the next suspension's going to be for 30 games or or more than that. Or isn't more it? than that. So, so he he took away his own power by doing that, and now he's going to have to hold back, and teams aren't going to fear him as much because they're going to say, "Look, this this guy gets called again. We, we're not going to see him the rest of the season." So it was really it was it was a stupid uh, chain of, of events, and he's well, no, he's st- not it was a stupid goon. for him to even put himself into that position in a. Damn preseason game. Now apparently, I mean, that was that was stupid. I didn't see the it, game. That guy's knocked out for a while, right? Uh, I, he had everything but a concussion, by the way. I think because Aston Reese had the jaw broken and the concussion. That was a much more vicious yeah. hit, even though it was bang bang like this one was. They're almost all bang bang in hockey because of the speed of the game. But but what but, happened was apparently, and I, I was I didn't see it, but I've been told a couple of minutes before in that game. He was involved in in a, a little incident with some of the players uh, that got him riled up. So they got him riled up. So he was already, you know, all juiced up when this happened. Well, this he, is going to continue to happen. Well, yeah, to your point. Yes, he's got he's got to control there's got, there's himself. There's going to have to be some self control. He's not a goon. He's a valuable offensive right. player. Right. To, exactly. To that team. He's a huge contributor. Yes. And was a big reason a, they ended up winning the cup last absolutely. year. Absolutely, he's he's great on. Uh, I mean, he 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 potentially is a twenty goal season scorer. We'll get back to this with Greg Wyshynski from ESPN in a few minutes. Window Nation is a believer in this podcast, and me, in Tommy, we want you to believe in Window Nation as well. If you need new windows. Go to Window Nation. Harley and Aaron, Harley's been a friend of mine forever. Harley and Aaron were backers of of our shows on 980. They were the first to reach out for this venture. Um, If you like this show, you're thinking about buying new windows, I promise you that you'll be thrilled if you call Window Nation. They will take care of you. Fact, Halloween is this month. Fact, Thanksgiving's coming fast, and we're not too far away from Christmas. What does this mean? Fact, Winter is coming. Now's the time you have to start acting when it comes to winterizing your home with brand new Window Nation windows. Call Window Nation today. You'll save 50% off all styles of windows, plus no down payment, no payments, and no interest for one full year. There's more, though. If you purchase a house of windows this week, Window Nation will pay your utility bills until your new windows are installed. Call 866-90-NATION, that's 866-90-NATION, or go to windownation.com by this Sunday, that's windownation.com, and tell them that Kevin told you to call. Um, Do you have that Jay Gruden sound about Josh Doxson yesterday? Tommy, listen to this exchange with Jay Gruden's Wednesday press conference, first time we've heard from him all week, uh, at the beginning of the press conference yesterday. Josh Doxson, we did not see him out there, so I'm just curious if there was something going on there. We will give you an update tomorrow on the injuries, John. 
saying it's injury related with him? I don't know. I can't remember. It doesn't sound like slap happy Jay to me. No, it sounds like frustrated Jay to me. I could be reading it incorrectly. Um, I just think that this Josh Doxson thing better turn around quickly or he's going to be a guy that potentially, even though they are super thin at the position, could be a guy, this is a you heard it here first, Okay, that will be inactive at some point during this season. I think their frustration level with him has reached an all-time high. Apparently, he got hit on his heel. And that, that we'll find out more about the injury today. And well, maybe it's a serious injury. That, that's happened to you before. It, it, it hurts. It does it hurt. Hurts. It does hurt. You know, it's hard to walk when you get hit on the heel. You know, I loved Josh Doxson. I know you did. You remember how much I wanted the Redskins to draft Josh Doxson yeah. in the 2016 draft? I just think that all the things we've heard about Josh Doxson, starting with some homesickness, which you know is understandable for a 21, 22, 23-year-old, but the other thing is more of, of a serious thing, and that is just doesn't love football. Just doesn't love it. Going through the motions, doing what he can, and he's got talent. And a lot of it. And I would love to see him turn it around and see him start to sort of make good on that talent. But the time's running out for oh, Josh Dotson. Yeah. It's running out quickly. We'll see if there's a serious injury here. Maybe it's a serious injury, and I'm not discounting the possibility that it is. But in Jay Gruden's voice, I thought you heard a guy that was like, yeah, here we go again with old Josh. Yeah. And something that isn't overly serious. Yeah, well, fortunately... He's been a zero contributor to the Redskins so far. It's not really going to impact them moving forward, I don't think. It may not. Um, Since we won't be back together again until Tuesday, which will be the day after the Redskins play the Saints on Monday night, um, I want to say to you and everybody else uh, something that I've been thinking about as it relates to this game in advance of the game with you here. I think that Monday night is one of the biggest early season measuring stick games, signal games. It'll signal something about the rest of the season that they've had in years. There are a few reasons for it. Now, now last year's game at Arrowhead in week four was one of those games, and they actually passed the test. They looked really good in that game against an undefeated Chiefs team at one of the toughest venues in the league, Arrowhead, with a team that we felt like could be a playoff team if the defense were improved, and there were signs through the first three weeks that the defense was very much improved. Now, what happened was they played well against the Chiefs, but it was just the next few weeks they just lost too many players to be competitive. There have been other games like the Packers Sunday night game, Tommy, in 2016. Some will say, well, what about that game when the Redskins destroyed the Packers? Well, the Packers were five and six or four and five going into that game. They weren't even that good in the moment. This game Monday night would mean a three and one start for the first time in seven years. By the way, that's immaterial in a lot of cases because three and one doesn't tell the whole story a lot of the time you could have a bad schedule you could still be a bad team at three and one or an average team at three and one but a win over new orleans on monday night in the superdome would be a signal it would be a signal that the redskins are among the upper tier of the nfc pecking order they would then have a win over the packers 
and they would have a win over the Saints. Right now, the Saints, to me, are the, are the second-best team in the NFC behind the Rams. I'm not saying that the Redskins are going to be an NFC championship contender, all right, but maybe if they beat the Saints, they will start to be perceived, and I think justifiably so, as a legitimate playoff team because a win over the Saints would give the Skins wins over the Packers and the Saints in four games. You can say what you want about the Packers, but they're still – they've got one loss – that was to the uh, to the Redskins only. Um, the Packers and the Saints are two of the top three or four playoff contenders in the NFC. The Redskins have had very few games like this, Tommy. I'm telling you, where the, the, this this will be a signal, and there are a few reasons for that. Number one. First of all, it won't be a predictor of health. You can't predict health in this league, which is what happened last year. And so the Chief game ultimately was a predictor potentially, but it was derailed by injuries. The Redskins' defense, you and I both think, is the reason to be optimistic. Yes, I agree. They are going to get the biggest test of the season on Monday night. The Saints right now are the number four offense in the league. They're the number three scoring offense in the league. They're third in yards per drive, third in points per drive. They have an elite quarterback, Hall of Fame quarterback, an elite weapon in Alvin Kamara. They've got a very good receiver in Michael Thomas. They're getting Mark Ingram back for the Monday night game after his suspension. The biggest measuring stick defensive game for the Redskins in years, because this is the first time in years, although last year early, and that's why I put the Chief game sort of into that category, we feel like the defense actually may be decent, may be able to carry the team, may be a playoff defense, a top five to top ten defense. Well, if that they don't show it Monday night against the best offense, then we're going to have to take a step back. But if they do show it, and they hold the Saints to, say, 20 points or 24 points, because 24, who was it we had on yesterday? I can't even remember who we had on yesterday who said 24 points now is the new... Cooley said it. Cooley said... I didn't remember who I had on yesterday because I had Cooley on for the hour. I thought I was you thinking were making it was a, a special guest. No. <laughs> um, Cooley said 24 is the new... Hey, you can hold somebody to 24 or less. You're doing well as a defense. You know, in... In seasons like 2016, you knew the only chance you had was an offense that would carry you because it was an epically bad defense with a terrible kicker who who blew two games that year. This year, though, you could have a defense that could be a playoff defense to go with an offense that's continuing to come around, and we're going to find out about both on Monday night because the Saints' offense is the best and their defense isn't very good. So we're going to come away from that game Monday night and we're going to have a really strong feeling about whether or not the Redskins are a playoff team in 2018. I really believe that. Monday night's massive. Imagine they win that game, they're 3-1, and one, and they own wins in the NFC over the Saints and the Packers. It would be a signal. It would be a signal. I think holding the Saints to 24 points isn't going to cut it because I don't think the Redskins' offense can score 24 points. I think, I, I, unlike you think, their offense is coming around. No, I didn't say that. Yes, I said, you did. I, you I, said they're coming I around. I said uh, potentially if the offense comes around is what I think I said. If I said what you said, I okay. said, I take that back. By the way, they could lose a 24-21 game where the defense really looks good against yes. one of the most explosive yes, offenses. Yes, they could. And it could be a signal. 
It could be a positive signal it also about could what this be season's going to be. Signal uh, that the, your offense is going to be limited the, the, most of the year, particularly if they fall behind early in a game. I think this is an offense. If they fall behind early in a game, the only way they win is if the defense uh, creates turnovers. Look, to your point about the offense and it being a signal for the offense, which I agree with also, which is why I say that this is sort of a signal game, a measuring stick game, the Saints right now defensively are 28th in the league on third down. All right, They are allowing 45.7% of third down conversions. The Redskins have, have a chance offensively. And by the way, Jay Gruden's had the Saints figured out for whatever reason the yeah. last few years. Yeah. All right? Because they they moved the ball up and down the field last year in that game that they blew defensively at the end. And two years ago, it was a 47-14 blowout of the Saints. No, Breeze. Different quarterback on the offense, Don't get me started on that. Well, I'm just pointing out that's a big big difference in the offense. It is a big difference in the offense. Most people don't believe that. (laughs) Um, But I just think that we are, on Tuesday morning, going to have a real sense of what this season is is if they go in and beat the Saints and they are defensively strong against that great offense and they move the ball and we're sitting there Tuesday morning after a 31-21 win in the Superdome on Monday night, you're looking at a playoff team at that point at 3-1, and one, a playoff team, a division contender in the NFC East. Yeah, now, I, I would say so because the NFC East uh, seems to be so fractured right now. Uh, the only, I mean, the only other factor, and you can't predict this one way or the other, is the way you can predict it is their inconsistency, uh, is their track record. Uh, for whatever reasons, Jake Gruden has been inconsistent in having his teams ready to play week in and week out. And again, I think he's the biggest X factor with this team. Uh, I think that's a really good point, and I think I agree with you. I mean, look at the Chief game last year, the game that could have been the real signal of what the season was going to be. And in fact, I felt like coming off of that game, the Redskins were a good football team at 2-2. and But at the same time, Jay Gruden completely mismanaged the clock and his timeout situation at the end of that game, and the worst that game should have done is gone to overtime, and they ended up losing it in regulation because of Jay Gruden's ineptitude when it came to clock management. Let's bring in Greg Wyshynski, who is the senior NHL writer at ESPN. Tommy and I have loved having him on the various shows we've been involved in over the years, so we're glad to have you on the podcast. I want to start with this before we get to the whole Tom Wilson thing. Tommy called it petty. Do you think it was petty that the the Caps didn't even acknowledge Barry Trotz last night? Uh, You know, I don't know if it's petty or an oversight or or what, but... The bottom line is that he wasn't acknowledged, and the bottom line is that it was more conspicuous in its absence than it would have been had you thrown him into the highlight reel video uh, that they showed during the ceremony, or had it be if uh, Ted Leonsis had mentioned the word coaches at any point during his speech, his uh, unity and community speech, as it'll be known. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just, it, just, it just comes, you know, listen, I understand that, like, Jay Beagle wasn't featured or mentioned, and you know, there might have been a fleeting glimpse of Grubauer at one point during the video, but, you know, Barry Trotz is the first coach to figure this thing out in Washington in 44 right. years. Right. And, and, and the idea that, that you're not going to acknowledge him in some way, shape, or form, even an aside to the coaching staff during any of these speeches, is, is kind of ridiculous, especially when the guy who's coached the team now 
was part of that staff. It's not as if uh, you know you're, you're, you're besmirching the reputation of new daddy by simply acknowledging that Barry Trotz was the guy who was behind the bench for the Stanley Cup. So that, that's the point. I mean, the point is, I mean, and that, this goes to a deeper issue of everyone insulting my intelligence, telling me it's no big deal that they change coaches, that they're not going to miss a beat. You know, I, I, I don't necessarily buy that per se. It doesn't mean they won't be successful. But you're right. He's the only one. I mean, the only guy who has done it. And, and he all of a sudden, he's invisible? How can that possibly be? There should be a bust of Barry Trotz <laughs> when you walk into the lobby that people should rub before they get to their seats. Well, I pointed this out last, you know, during the game, and, uh, and, and there's been three different reactions from a lot of Capitals fans. The first, of course, is the, is the thing that we heard all summer after Trotz left, which is that they won despite him. You yeah. know, they, <laughs> he was just a passenger on this bus. Uh, he wasn't the driver, and, and they won despite his his horrible decision making. Um, ne- never mind that, like you know, he he helped shepherd a team of young players, uh, knowing exactly how to utilize those young players, uh, you know, and did some pretty good things. I, I disagree with the Grubauer thing at the beginning of the playoffs, but that's neither here nor there. The other thing you hear is that you know, well, he 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 left for the money. Well, of course he left for the money because the Capitals weren't going to pay him. <laughs> you know, they, you know, they, they, they had him, they had him over a barrel on this uh, contract option that he agreed to, maybe never really believing that he ever won a cup, uh, and then they were going to make him stick to that because if there's one thing we know about the Capitals that they are quite frugal with the money they pay their coaches. And then the third thing is that you know maybe it's no big deal because when he comes back with the Islanders, uh, they'll do something special then, and that's all well and good except for the fact that. You had an entire Stanley Cup celebration without any reference to the, to, the, to the coach of that team, and that's just very strange. And you know, I want to give them all the benefit of the doubt. It was a lovely ceremony. I think it was a great uh, celebration of that team. Um, but it does kind of feel calculated at the end of the day. It, it was a, I thought, a really, really impressive night the way it was handled, but. You know, what you both are speaking to is a level of bad blood. So why, why would you think they would do something when the Islanders come back to town? I don't know. That's just, that was just a thought from some fans. I don't know for sure. I mean, I remember back in the day, and he, I think I mentioned this last night, when, uh, when Jeff Halpern went to the Dallas Stars and, uh, and then was coming back for his first game in D.C. And, and Halpern at the time, one of the most popular players, you know, in, in recent franchise history when he, uh, when he left the Caps. And I remember that the Stars put him in the starting lineup, and I remember it being a thing that, that George McPhee allegedly uh, instructed the Capitals not to uh, announce the Stars' starting lineup so, uh, so Halpern didn't get a pop when his name was announced. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great, great, uh, great moments in petty history, I suppose. But, uh, but again, that's, that's it's neither here nor there with Trotz. I, I, I want to believe that they're going to do buy him right when he comes back. Uh, but who's to say, really? I mean, based on what we saw on opening night. Well, Ted was brief. Tommy and I talked about that. I mean, you, we both we all know how long winded he can be. I thought he actually did a great job with, with the exception of of not mentioning but the, old Trotz. The unity um, and community thing yeah. that was his little Jesse Jackson move there. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you, so tell us your thoughts? Was it a was it a just penalty for Tom Wilson twenty games? Well, 
on the one hand, no, uh, because, you know, the escalation of the punishments for Tom Wilson would not lead one to believe the next step would be 20 games. But in talking to some of the player safety guys yesterday, there is something to be said for the fact that this was an unprecedented frequency of suspensions against one player in modern NHL history. There's not been a guy who's been suspended four times in the span of like 105 games, let alone, you know, twice within the span of 16 games or, or whatever it was from, from the postseason through the preseason. So, you know, from that aspect of it, you can, you can argue that even though it doesn't necessarily follow the trend line you'd expect for the, uh, the amount of games he should get for a hit like that, um, there's some justification for the suspension being what it was because we've just never had a guy that's been dinged that many times so quickly as, uh, t- as Tom Wilson. You know, I mean, it seems to me that if you're a Caps fan moving forward, your concern should be now, uh, I mean, I said this to Kevin before, it's like Tom Wilson has taken away his own power in the sense that before his presence on the ice was well known. He was feared on the ice. Teams, he was in teams' heads. You had to have your head on a swivel when Tom Wilson was on the ice. That was established. He didn't have to do anything else, and, and, and he had that reputation. Now, if I'm an opposing team, knowing what's at stake uh, to get rid of this guy, I'm goading him into his next, into his next fight. I'm pushing him into his next incident because that could be a season-long suspension. Well, you know, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting point, but I don't think you know goading him into anything is going to replicate the kind of hit that we'd see that would necessitate a, a season long suspension. I mean, that's that's the uh, that's the, the open ice hit that he thinks he's delivering and, and thinks he's delivering legally that ends up being a headshot or, or whatever. And, you know, I think the, the hit against uh, Aston Reese of the Penguins and the, and the hit against Sunquist were both hits that. Wilson believed he was justified in delivering. Didn't you um, think that did, it wasn't the Aston reset just much worse though? The Sunquist hit I, I don't think was comparable. You know, you know there are two different hits, and, and obviously the aftermath of the Aston Reese one was was pretty horrific. But this hit, honestly, when I saw it, made me cringe because it reminded me of the type of hits that instigated the uh, the necessity for Rule Forty Eight when they when they enacted it. It reminded me of those kind of open ice hits that ended up with guys on a stretcher, those blindside headshots um, that, uh, that the, the league, that was sort of the impetus for Rule 48 and the Department of Player Safety kind of getting into the game. So I didn't like the hit at all. But, um, but you know, the thing about Wilson, like you said, is the, the, the key is going to be whether or not he can it, – it's two things. Can he still play on the edge um, and be a physically intimidating player, or does he have to be overly cautious about – crossing that line because it could cost them another million dollars. And then on top of that, a number of, a number of other games. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, there was a series of hits that he delivered uh, before finally getting suspended um, that were borderline hits. And, you know, the NHL, I think, gave him the benefit of the doubt to the point where, you know, when, when the capital say, well, you're just going after Tom Wilson based on his reputation. The NHL's like, what reputation? Like, we, we, we went over, you know, we bent over backwards not to suspend this guy for a number of years. Um, so the question is, 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 is that benefit of the doubt still there for a borderline hit, or do they, will they always err on the side of suspension now 
just because of, of the frequency with which he's, uh, he's been suspended. Is there any chance, because uh, he's going to appeal this, and the Caps were pretty stunned, I think, and upset about the length of the suspension. Is there any chance that it would be reduced? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the frequency of suspension argument is, is a new one. It's, it's unprecedented. Um, insofar as saying a guy who's been suspended four, four times in 105 games deserves 20 games. There's no, there's no real basis for it. It feels right in the eyes of a lot of fans, and I think that the Department of Player Safety overall was celebrated for it, but you can't point to anything else that they've done in, as far as a ruling in the last several years and say, well, it's, it's justified because of this. Um, so, uh, you know, there is a part of me that really believes the NHL threw the book at him um, to let everybody know they're serious, to let Tom Wilson know they're serious. But they may not necessarily believe that the 20 games will be upheld when it gets to a neutral arbitrator, which, you know, obviously will, because the first step is appealing to Bettman, who's not going to go against his own player safety department, and then the neutral arbitrator uh, then rules on that. So I wouldn't be surprised if it gets knocked down uh, to, to something, you know, by a few games. Um, but I don't, because I, th- I think the NHL just wanted to make a statement here and, and – uh, and, uh, and then, you know, be, be whatever it's going to be with the appeals process. You know, uh, the second part of, of last night that was great for Cavs fans was the 7 nothing win over <laughs> a, a Boston team where they scored, I think, uh, in the first 19 seconds uh, of the game against a Boston team that, that, was, that was pretty good last year that's supposed to be maybe a possible contender uh, this year. Now, I, I, uh, I may be drinking some uninformed Kool-Aid here, but, uh, and I know there's this, all this talk about the Stanley Cup hangover and all that, but what if the possibility is that these caps are even better? And, and even better than a team last year, or even better than they've ever been. And I'll tell you why I think that, is Kuznetsov, his emergence as this, as this superstar scorer on a team that that didn't have any problem scoring goals in the first place, I think could be a game changer. Yeah, you know, we had a roundtable about the Capitals on ESPN.com after the opening night game about whether or not they they can repeat. And, you know, my key player for the team was Kuznetsov. I find find him to be an extraordinarily talented guy. Uh, I could watch the guy skate <laughs> like on a loop. He's, he's one of the yeah. most electrifying skaters I've ever seen. But what really, I think, does it for me is uh, two things. One, the fact that his chemistry with Ovechkin allows them to drop back from to the second line, which is critical uh, to spread out your offense like that. And, you know, Backstrom and Oshie, Ovechkin and Kuznetsov, once you have those two pairs established, you, you're doing pretty well for yourself in your top six. But more importantly, I think last postseason showed – that when Evgeny Kuznetsov is dominant, the Capitals win Stanley Cups. <laughs> you know, and so uh, the, 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 if it weren't for the uh, exploits and the uh, timeliness and the narrative uh, that accompanied Alex Ovechkin and his Conn Smythe quest, uh, obviously I think Kuznetsov had a really good case for playoff MVP. Right. And so I agree with you. I think you know his emergence as uh, not only a guy who can maybe lead the team in points in the regular season, but then lead the team in points in the postseason as well makes this team uh, all the more dangerous. Yet uh, most people <clears throat> really haven't picked them, Greg, in, in terms of you know the preseason prognostications. A lot of people like Tampa or Toronto or Pittsburgh. 
Um, what was your pick? Uh, I mean, it's it's still it's still valid, even though they they opened up with with a beatdown, a seven nothing beatdown. Well, I had Tampa coming out of the East. I actually had Pittsburgh winning the division. I, I you know, it wouldn't shock me to see the Capitals win win the division, but it would shock me to see them come out of the East again. Uh, to be honest with you, because for me, the the thing that that happened last season beyond the um, you know defeating the Penguins after years of torment, which is something that a lot of us never thought we'd see was another thing a lot of us thought we'd never see, which is all five of the Capitals' best players all playing their best hockey at the same time. Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, Backstrom, Carlson, and Holtby were all at the peak of their powers during the playoffs last season, um, and the result was the first championship in the history of the franchise. To have that happen a second time, whether it's just guys going through a funk or, or, or maybe uh, teams uh, Ding up a, a number of those guys, uh, better than they had last season, or even injuries, is is asking a lot. So, you know, there there's a part of me that thinks that it's completely plausible they could do it again. Oshie basically last night said the way we played in, in, on opening night was the way we played in the playoffs, and it's like we haven't skipped a beat. But there's also a part of me that really believes a lot of conditions kind of came together at the right time for the Capitals last postseason, and, and asking or assuming that that's going to happen again is a tall order. One thing's obvious again, Greg, and this you know was so apparent during the postseason last year, you're at a big disadvantage if they're on the power play. I mean, it is really an exciting, lethal power play. Where does it rank uh, among power plays, extra man advantages in the entire league? I would say it's, it's either first or second. I mean, uh, Tampa's group is, is pretty darn good. Yep. And, I think I'd like to see a little bit more of what San Jose is going to do now that they can throw out uh, Carlson, uh, potentially with Burns on that power play. And L.A.'s is interesting, too, because, you know, say what you will about Ilya Kovalchuk's uh, wheels at, at 35 or 36 years old. His hands are still there. And if they're going to use him as sort of a point man along with Drew Doughty, uh, that could be absolutely devastating. So, I, you know, to me, it's probably Tampa and, and the Capitals atop that ranking of power plays. Um, but the, you know, listen, every time the puck gets to the Ovechkin spot on that power yeah. play, you're, you're praying for the goalie's well-being. <laughs> because it's just, he's just, he's just ripping and roaring that thing. And, and, you know, it's amazing to think that like, um, you know, like it's like, it's like using the Deke move in NHL 94 from EA sports. It's like the unstoppable <laughs> thing that no one can figure out. And after all these years, you know, Ovechkin in the circle firing that puck. Uh, because of his, his shot, because of his accuracy, it's just money in the bank. Thanks, Greg. Really appreciate it. Talk soon. Sure. Thank you, Greg. Anytime, boys. Thanks. want to tell you real quickly uh, about Ralph Perkins, Kevin Farish, and Farish Chrysler Dodge Jeep in Fairfax. They've been friends forever. Uh, Farish, Tommy, they what did they do? They did Redskins at one for 10 years. Yes. Uh, or for seven and a half years, and then Redskins at eight for another two and a half um, they were a part of it. And, uh, you know, like Window Nation, uh, Farish, you know, wanted to get involved in this new podcast venture. The numbers are great. We're, we're, we're doing very well. And so there's huge benefit um, for advertisers to be involved. But, but they were going to have my back regardless. And that longstanding relationship with them uh, is important to me. And I want it to be important to you if you like this show. If you're thinking about something new, 
uh, consider Farish Chrysler Dodge Jeep in Fairfax. Right now, you will get a great deal on any Jeep. You're going to save big. They're located right there in Fairfax Circle. You can ask for Ralph when you get into the dealership. He is in the store every single day, seven days a week pretty much. Um, you can also find their entire inventory with live pricing at FarishCars.com. That's FarishCars.com. But if you're thinking about something new, Farish Chrysler Dodge Jeep in Fairfax. Tommy wrote a column <clears throat> the other day in the Washington Times, and I read it because you, um, you know, through all these years, you just you email. You've got every you've got a bunch of people on your email list, and you email out your column when it's done every day. And I read it almost all the time because it takes about forty five seconds to read <laughs> one of Tommy's columns, which is the best thing about his columns. But when I got done reading this one, where you ripped the learners to shreds, and you said that Steinberg had this comment as well, um, I just thought to myself, there just isn't anybody in this town that writes the way you do, where you are fearless. You will rip anybody at any time for any reason, and it's highly entertaining. But for those that didn't read the, read the column, just give everybody a quick summary of it, because I have a couple of thoughts on it. Well, I, I wrote about the arrogance of, of the Lerner family. Uh, you know, looking back on this season, it's hard not to ignore the fact that they they were so arrogant in thinking that that they knew this business of baseball that they refu- that they refused to bring back a manager in Dusty Baker who had won two straight division titles and 192 games over two years. A manager that the general manager Mike wanted Rizzo. to bring back for one more year, because Mike knows the Mike knows the 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 risk of change, you know, and that's what was at stake: the risk of change. And 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 this is not an indictment of Dave Martinez, who I think is a good manager. They're like two separate issues. Okay, is 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 letting letting Dusty Baker leave and bringing in a manager who had no experience, given all the things that happened this year turned out to be a huge risk that backfired for them. And, and so the arrogance of ignoring the, 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 the baseball guy who, who was telling you this is not the move you should make, coupled with the news that Jason Wirth uh, had been arrested in April in Arizona when he was training to try to play for the Seattle Mariners on a DUI and had basically been belligerent and, and gave the, the police a hard time on the arrest, sort of like a do you know who I am uh, situation. And then they induct him in the ring of honor. Now, this is a bit complicated, so people are going to have to follow follow along on this one and pay attention. Put your crayons down and, and, and pay attention for this one. Uh, I don't think Jason Worth should have been in the ring of honor, period. I mean, he, was a, he was a mediocre to average player at best. He had the greatest home run in, in, in no, Washington he, baseball history, Tommy, he was he was better than average he, for this I, franchise. Now you go back and look at his, Kevin. There wasn't one year where he was the best player on the team, and there were many years where he wasn't the second or look, the third best look, player look, on the team. Look, there are people that the Redskins have put into their Ring of Honor in recent years where I'm always like, really? Like I don't even consider him to be a real Redskin. Um, but so I'm going to take your word on this. But to me, Jason Worth, first of all, was the first big mo- first time the learners spent money on anything was Jason Worth. And Jason Worth is a player that 
was a big part of those teams that made the postseason. And then, by the way, more times than not, came up with a big moment in the postseason. Didn't not not many, just the Cardinals. Didn't have too the many. The Dodger big... game three or uh, game four when they were down 2-1 trying to force a game five, he came up huge in Didn't also. have too many big moments chasing down fly balls in the outfield last year. I know. Okay, and again. Had some of the not, best at bats. Not even the, to- not even the top three player on the team in some years. So you're going to induct him in the Ring of Honor for accepting a $127 uh, I'm not million argue, check? I'm not going to argue with that. I'm just going to say that to call him mediocre, his career to be mediocre no, was I said ass- some years oh, he okay. was mediocre. Right. Okay, some fine. years he was good. Okay, So I don't think he should have been in the Ring of Honor, period. Again, even if you do think in the, he should be in the Ring of Honor, you don't induct him five minutes after his career is over. In other words, you let these things wait. I mean, this is why there's a five-year waiting period to be inducted into Halls of Fame because you don't know what's going to happen. This is I'm Andy, Paul, and our friend, and I don't necessarily agree with this, but he always says you should never build a statue for someone who's still alive, <laughs> pointing to Joe Paterno as, as an example of that. I, don't, I think that's too far, but again, you, need, you should let the passage of time happen before you make such a move because it devalues the, the, this whole ring of honor that they've got. Now that now they look foolish because the Nationals didn't know about the arrest. And within days, within days of his Jason Worth day and his induction, he was sentenced on the DUI charge. And then and and the Nationals claimed they had no idea. Tommy, just remember teams that don't have much of a history of success are always in a rush to do something nice for a player they believe you know, has risen to some level. Jason Wirth would have never gotten that honor in a franchise that had won a lot, that had a long history of winning with a lot of great players, but it's a very brief history that we're talking about. Right now, it's Walter Johnson, Frank Howard, and that's from a, a half century ago and a century ago. And so it's worth it's Zimmerman, and right now that's well Scherzer eventually. Yes. Um, but anyway, I I, I wanted to, to to say this out of your column because I I what I didn't know, and I don't know why I didn't know this. I knew I knew that they were cheap, the learners, when it came to managers, and I understand the trend in the in Major League Baseball with low-salaried managers, all right, including a lot of the managers who are in the playoffs right now are on that very low yes. end yeah. of the salary. I mean, I think Alex Cora is uh, below a million dollars. I think the Atlanta manager is below a million dollars. I think the Do- I think uh, Dave Roberts is, has a, a, a very insignificant salary compared to some of the big guys like Bochi and... Um, I, I wrote him down. There are a couple of guys, Joe Madden and, and, and Bruce right. Boche, I think, are at $6 million a pop. Yeah. I think Mike Sosha is at $6 million a and pop. And Mike just as retired. Well. And he just retired. So, but he makes $900,000 a year? That's that, it? That's less than half of what Dusty Baker made. I, and, and Dusty wanted, Dusty was making $2 million, two a, year. million a year and wanted it upped. Yeah. Right. Well, and they and they wouldn't do that. Well, I mean, you know, Dusty was making four million dollars a year when he was with Cincinnati. So he took a two million dollar pay cut when he took the Nationals job. And let's remember how they lowballed Bud Black, their first choice to manage the team, right. who now has the Colorado Rockies in, in the postseason. So yeah, and well, not and, anymore. 
and, and, in the postseason. Right. Okay, but the learners uh, basically have done this. Yes. All what am I talking about? Yeah, of course. You, of course. Play, they're playing Milwaukee today yeah. in game one. Right. Yeah. They beat the Dodgers. Yeah. I mean, they beat the. Uh, they beat the. Um, who did Colorado beat the other day in the playoff game? They beat the, the Cubs. The, the Cubs. Cubs. Thank you. Yeah. Joe Madden, six million. Yes. Bud Black, about a million. So, so those days are like like you have Joe Girardi sitting out there who made five million a year with the Yankees, and his next job he's not going to make. He might make half that or less if he's lucky because now the front office are run by uh, you know analytics geeks who think managers just do what they tell them to do. I, now the difference is, you see, Mike Rizzo doesn't do that. Mike Rizzo does. I mean, I don't think. I know Mike didn't. Well, he believes has, in analytics, but he does not tell managers how to manage their teams. These other guys like in Houston A's. and the A's, they all do that. Mike does not do that. Here is what I found just incredibly. Uh, I, I I I knew I knew that Major League Baseball managers at at many levels were were low paid, but you take Dave Martinez and his salary, Tommy. He's the lowest paid. You know, person in town that's that's running a team. Jay Gruden makes five million dollars a year. That extension got him up to five million. Scott Brooks makes seven million dollars a year. That's unbelievable. All right, Dave Martinez makes nine hundred thirty-three thousand dollars a year. His deal was a three-year deal for two point eight million dollars. There is a fourth-year team option for one point two. I bet you he never gets to that one point two. <laughs> um, you know, the college guys, Patrick Ewing, you can't find because they're a private university. Right. You can't find his salary any, any, anywhere, but I've been told it's about $4 million a year as a college basketball coach. He's making four times what the manager of a team that went to the playoffs two out of the last three years makes. DJ Durkin, I don't know for how much longer, yes. makes two and a half to two point, you know, somewhere in about in the neighborhood of two point seven. Turgeon, the same thing, two point seven million a year. Um, Reards, old Reards, <laughs> I can't find what he was making, but well, he's not making much. He's not making. Much. I mean, the Capitals like like the, like the Nationals. Trotsy was making a million and a half. Capitals don't pay, but Trotsy was making more than the the baseball manager. Yeah, yes, he was, and that's the only time they've ever paid. Isn't it surprising that the only time the Capitals have actually paid a coach is when they won a Stanley Cup? Because for years they 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 told George McPhee, you you can't go out and hire right. a Stanley Cup coach because we're not going to pay them. Nick Saban makes eight point six million dollars a year. And Dave Martinez is a manager of a of a major league baseball team that's been good recently, and he makes nine hundred and thirty three thousand dollars a year. I hey, can't. boys and girls, don't go into managing baseball. No, can't make any money doing it. No. Actually, it's pretty good money. Yeah, but coach something else. Yeah. So I mean, my point was the learner's arrogance. You could make the case. Is is what gets in the way of this franchise moving forward? Yes, you made that very clear in your column. Thank you. And and yeah, there, Steinberg Steinberg said uh I'm the only bomb thrower in town and it's not on purpose. Again, it's, it's not calculated. You know, I don't sit there and say who yes, who can I cut up today? No, I don't. Yeah, you but but it it, it it's a it's something that really gets you excited. I have a when sense you, of injustice. When you have an idea and and you have this sense of somebody's really messed up. Yes. And by the way, those people usually having some sort of status economically, you go after them. Well, because nobody else in this town does. It's true. I mean, everyone types you with d- velvet gloves in this town. <laughs> Except, you know who doesn't? Sally. Sally well, Jenkins, uh, right. but, but, she's, but she's not. She doesn't live in right, town. Right. She just writes in town yeah. for, for the paper in town. Yeah. 
All right, let's get to Scott Van Pelt. Scott Van Pelt's with us as he is uh, every Thursday. Um, I, you know, I was thinking about things to talk to you about, and I just thought I'd start right with, you know, gambling talk. Um, who do you like this weekend? Seriously. Have you looked at it yet? Because I wrote down about 17 games that I liked wow. last night. <laughs> yeah, it's my man Stanford Steve, who, by the way, is on fire in the Pixie Dust. I saw, uh, I saw that. Steve in the Bear podcast. Yeah, he's an he's an absolute monster. Um, he came in and he just said, "You will have the board on Saturday." And I, so I have, I have. We give out our picks on Thursday night. I have a list of about that many. I'll try to pare it down to something reasonable tonight. So I mean, there's, you know, there's. If people have listened, obviously, I have seven to you. If they've watched our show, it's, you and I have very similar philosophies. I, you know, teams like Florida getting a small number oh from LSU alone yeah. doesn't make sense. Syracuse is, is giving Pittsburgh, who isn't any good, like five. You know, three and a half. It went to three. Yeah, it it's three and three. a half. I will, I will have Pitt for the maximum allowed <laughs> on Saturday. Right, yeah, you have to. And this is the part where if people don't understand the, 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 the philosophy is, it's, it makes no sense when you hear me say, I liked it at six. I love it at three because it makes even less sense and people would say well wouldn't you want more points well not when i expect Pitt just to win because the line's so bad so it's going to be a big big card and i haven't even looked at the nfl and i oh. know that your nfl picks have been that that's even been better but for some reason i can't even i can't get past the saturday card to even look at sunday i should be giving out nfl games i'd be my record my, the i'm on fire in the nfl over the last three weeks i think awesome. it's i think it's um I want to say it's like nine, two, and one, or something like that, over the, the last three weeks in the NFL. But just to, to elaborate a little bit on what you said, because our our, our good friend Tommy and I, um, our good friend Steve Zabin, who is brilliant at what he does, but he always just sort of struggled with this whole concept. And I can't tell you how many days <laughs> I would have to sit there, and he would get, well, wait a minute, hold on. You like Pitt plus six, but you love him at plus three and a half, and he could never grasp the concept, even you know, drawing it out in crayon. And for those that are struggling, like Zabe would strug- struggle with this topic, look, if the line appears to be wrong, that's what Scott and I love, because that means all of our dopey friends think that Vegas is aired somehow and they are jumping on Syracuse laying this perceived very short number. So if it even goes shorter, then more of our friends are going to bet Syracuse. And usually when that happens, they're on the wrong side of the game. And by the way, and I've explained this to people in the past, and I think you have as well, when you see a big jump in a number like that, Now, there are injuries that can cause a big line movement, but when a line goes from six, Syracuse minus six to Syracuse minus three and a half, that is never, ever dumb money that moves that line, public money that moves that line. That is sharp money. Those are the two dozen sharp bettors that live on this planet, according to all of our friends who have been offshore and, and been involved in this stuff. There are no more than about two dozen guys that are feared on the entire planet. They're the ones that move that line from six to three and a half, unless there's an injury I'm missing in the game. Right. So anyway, I just wanted to explain right. that for those that don't understand it. Right. It's not. It's not that. It's not complicated. You you very eloquently laid out what it is. And by the way, none of this means that, that this is some guarantee. No. It's just. 
And I've explained it, Kevin. I've explained it that, like it's it's exactly to me like playing blackjack if you play that game by the rules. If it, you just do the same thing every time, and the and the, the board tells you what you're supposed to do, it doesn't mean you're going to get the right card. You could, you know, Syracuse could go out and be hit by a lot. Syracuse is good. Hell, they could have beat Clemson. Right. But it, the, but it's these these circumstances like like this game are the most obvious games that you or I will ever have because they make the least sense on paper. I find it fascinating that somebody who's as smart as Aben couldn't finally just have the light bulb come on over his head. No, he, he he's br- he's brilliant, but he just has never he's always sort of struggled with math. Very basic math. Well, that's okay. Um, you let me ask try you, your best with the, with the numbers. Let me ask you both a question. I, as as a guy who has spent years uh, drinking in bars. I used to have this fantasy of owning a bar at one point, but I eventually got over that. Uh, but I used to for years. I mean, and, and they're two different things. Uh, given the fact that sports betting is becoming legal everywhere and could be legal in D.C. soon, have you guys ever fantasized <laughs> with the idea of owning a sports book as opposed to just betting? I have not. I have not. Uh, I, I- Listen, I'm. This is where I just made fun of Zabin for not getting it. This is where I, I'm. I should make fun of myself because. Well, I can do it for you. That's the that's <laughs> that's the business to be in. Is you know be be in the be in the side of, of being in the sports book business. Uh, you know, I happen to know a guy who was the book at Maryland who started one and sold it and got I think about about half a billion dollars. So. Um, I'd have been smart had I been in that in that racket long ago. I, I wasn't smart enough to be that smart. So, I, the, the, no, I don't. I don't want to do that. Uh, I, I've got a job that does okay. I, I, to me, it's just way more fun to talk about on Thursdays during the football season. I'll I'll add to that because I'll I'll completely make fun of myself because I was in the same category because I knew the same person and I knew the people that did that and there I was trying to sell internet groceries while people I knew dearly were moving to warm <laughs> tropical locales uh, making a half a billion dollars um, in in the process but um yeah you mentioned uh, F- Florida. Florida was one of those teams, Scott, before the season started, there were two teams that I thought had a chance to be much better than people were talking about. Uh, Mississippi State was already thought of as sort of a sleeper pick, and I mentioned them, but I'm like, the Gators are good. And by the way, I just like I like Mullen. I think that he he would he'd figure it out offensively for them. They may be one of the top three or four defenses in the country. And they are only getting two and a half in the swamp against red hot LSU. That to me looks like the lock of the weekend. I think the Gators win that outright. And by the way, when they do, they're going to be one of those teams to watch because now all of a sudden that Florida Georgia game in Jacksonville is going to be a huge game. Huge. Yeah, it, it has that chance. And when they lost, when they lost at home to Kentucky, it was it was you know ha 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 look at them. And Kentucky hasn't lost. Since, so um, I've watched I've watched them play a bunch. Florida and, and, and uh, Kentucky are very similar in that they're both very good defensively. And the, the the thing at the moment in college football is the the very best teams: Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia. Their offenses are so good that they've got the ability to score forty on you, even when they don't play particularly well. Florida does not, and that's the part that's scary about them is their offense uh, isn't much, but. Defensively, they are nasty, and uh, you know this is one of those games that 
you know, LSU's everything's gone right for them so far, and they've they've got two of the biggest wins of the year. Um, but this uh, this is it stinks to have high heaven this game. Yeah, speaking of Kentucky, who's been one of the surprise teams in the country, they're playing Texas A and M, and they're a seven point underdog to A and M. Now A and M's good, yeah, old, but sure. but that like, line's I, big. I think Stanford's. I think Stanford Steve gave it, gave out A and M in his podcast because he 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 like us sees things in a similar way, not exactly, not exactly, same, uh, kind of a lot, same philosophy. I mean, he said, "Look, I, I'm looking at a team that's lost two or three games, who's giving a touchdown to an undefeated team." So it's the same idea. It makes no sense. But A and M, I think people know A and M's good. They've got a lot of talent. Um, we'll find out a lot about Kentucky this weekend and LSU. You know, on the road, unbeaten, and you know. In, in, a, in a spot where they could very easily take the first L of the year. All right. Um, we could wrap it up there if you want. But I did, I guess, want to ask you about the Ryder Cup. Um, God, Tommy Tommy was so off-put by the shot of all of the players before the Ryder Cup started in, in their jackets. And he just thinks it's the most elitist thing he's ever seen in his life. And I've tried to explain mm-hmm. to him that golf is has long now not been an elitist game in the way you think you, of you it. You know, you, you, but, Kevin, wait, you're right, because some guy on Twitter pointed out to me that, you know, it's really the global game. And I said to him, I, yeah, you know, I see them playing it on those Save the Children commercials all the time. <laughs> um. What about some of the controversy coming out of this thing? The Patrick Reed comments, the the report of of, of a fight between Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka. I have no idea. Um, I have no idea if those guys had a you know had a fight. Aren't I, they best I, friends? It, yeah, they are. Um, but I mean, you know, you get your butt kicked, and then you have a party on Saturday, and you know, maybe there's a dust up. I have no idea. Uh, the Patrick Reed thing is actually really interesting. He's um, he he doesn't like. I don't think the guys dislike him, but he doesn't have he doesn't have friends because he doesn't covet them. He, he and his wife are sort of their own like team. So it's kind of this fascinating uh, dynamic with him because um, he's really good and um, and has been good in the Ryder Cup, but then he wasn't good this uh, this one, and you know came out some guy with some name uh, name uh, how do I say it anonymous that an unnamed source said that he Reed was full of crap. He had asked to play with with Woods and who, listen. Anytime you lose in this event, the United States there's always some scandal and always some infighting and whatever. Uh, it just matters way more to Europe. Collectively, they they live for this, and it it was you know it was a great effort from them. They set the course up in a way that that really favored them, and um and they took advantage. All right, that's it. We're done with you. Thank okay. you very much. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Scott Van Pelt, everybody. Uh, (laughs) Subscribe to this podcast. If you haven't and you're just listening to it on the website or you just bring it up on iTunes, it helps us if you actually subscribe and rate the podcast. And we've mentioned this also for people that are like, want to listen to to Kevin and Tommy, uh, but I don't know how to do iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn or Google Play. Just tell them to go to thekevinsheehanshow.com. Also, you can now follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and the Twitter page. But you can follow me on Twitter, too, at Kevin Sheehan DC and at Tom Lavero on Twitter as well. Uh, let's get to this week's NFL Power Poll. 
Rank them one to five. It's time for our weekly NFL Power Poll. All right, before we get to the Power Poll for the week, top five and a couple of teams to keep an eye on. Um, Tommy, the NFL offense in the first four weeks is at historic levels. Uh, the passing numbers are at an all-time high. Completions, all-time high, 2,999 through the first four weeks. Completion percentage, passing yards, passing touchdowns. There have been 228 passing touchdowns through the first four weeks. And points scored, 3,030, are the highest in NFL history through the first four games of the season. I don't know if it's coincidental or not. Most people would say it's not coincidental. I actually believe it is coincidental because I think people still love the NFL without all of this offense. But ratings are way up. I think it has more to do with there have been some really good, compelling games. Last weekend, you had three overtime games. You know, you've had great matchups in some of the prime time spots. I think it has more to do with that personally than just all of the offense, but a lot of people will say it has to do with all of the offense so far. Um, all right, here's my top five because you're still working on it. I was hoping we'd just skip over this, but let's nope, go ahead. No, we're not going to skip over it. My okay. number five team are the Kansas City Chiefs. I've got them in the top five because they're one of two undefeated teams, but I'm going to tell you this, Tommy, right now, they're not winning the Super Bowl. The Chiefs are not going to be in the Super Bowl. I don't think the Chiefs will be in the AFC Championship game by the time we get to middle January, middle to late January. Their defense is just too bad. Um, it's 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 an awful defense, and they're, it's already been exposed. It hasn't hurt them in the win-loss column. Mahomes is great. I'm not putting him in the Hall of Fame. I'm going to give him a few years <laughs> yeah. for that. Uh, he's very good, and they've got ridiculous weapons offensively, which I'm sure Alex Smith is yearning for to a certain degree. Did you see the day after you declare that he's not uh, he's not a Hall of Famer? Uh, his jersey got sent to the Pro Football yeah, Hall of Fame. You sent me that because of the number of touchdown passes he's thrown in the first four games. Um, he, uh, he, well, yeah, he's the only quarterback, the youngest quarterback in history with six touchdown passes in one particular game, and we know that he's on pace for a ridiculous number um, this season. Uh, the Chiefs are my number five team. The Patriots destroyed Miami. They're going to get it together here. Plus, they're getting Edelman back. And I have a feeling the Patriots are due for a run here. I've got them as the fourth best team in the league. But, Tommy, my number three team in the NFL is my pick right now to be in the Super Bowl out of the AFC. The Baltimore Ravens. Oh, my gosh. The Ravens are... I, I felt this way before the season started, just had a hunch. I've had a hunch all along. And remember, I had Cincinnati as a smell test pick in that Thursday night game in week two. And they may lose this weekend and be really pushed this weekend at Cleveland. Baltimore's winning 11 games. They're winning the division, the, the AFC North, and they're going to be at least in the AFC championship game against the Patriots or somebody else maybe, Jacksonville. I love this team right now. I uh, Again, I don't root for Baltimore things, but I've always respected this team. I've been a Flacco fan. He's having a career year already. They destroyed Pittsburgh the other night, even though the score didn't indicate it throughout the game. They held the Steelers to 47 yards in the second no, half. No, it was amazing. Uh, the Ravens are my number three team. The number two team, 
is the team the Redskins play on Monday night. The New Orleans Saints are my number two team in the NFL. Their defense is not as bad as the Chiefs' defense, and their offense is every bit as good. They actually put up 33 on a team that I think has a very good defense. Now, a lot of that is because the giant offense is so bad, and they punted too many times. But I think the Saints are the number two team in the league, and at this point, there's no debate. The most, the best all-around football team, defense, offense, special teams, and they're even missing their kicker right now, Zerline, uh, and coaching staff with Wade Phillips and with Sean McVay. The L.A. Rams right now are the best team in football, and that game last Thursday night was a terrific game. I think Minnesota's got some issues on defense they, they and, and running game-wise, uh, but the Rams uh, in a shootout beat them. They're my number one team. I'll give you a few teams to keep an eye on in a moment, but right now get your top five, Tom. You know, you, you talk about the Rams. Stan Kroenke, the owner, really lucked into a situation here by making the move from St. Louis to L.A. and hiring the guys to turn around what had been a dismal losing franchise into now a marquee team uh, on the eve of moving into a brand new uh, stadium. Couldn't I mean, have that, worked out better. It, it really, that's when you want to be like the Rams are now, when when you're moving in, into a new stadium like that. That's why I think the Raiders better, better get good quick before they – wind up moving to Las Vegas. I'll give you my number five team. Uh, I'm surprised you put them in your top five and put them so high, but uh, they're they're number five for me now, and that's the Baltimore Ravens. I think you're right. They are moving in the right direction. I, th- I think they're well coached. I think Flacco has – I agree with you. Flacco has always been an underrated quarterback, never really been given the credit. Uh, well, that, we're in the minority on that. Yeah, you I know, know that. I know that. But if, if you put weapons around him like they did this year and you put an offensive line in front of him and you give him time, he throws as good a deep ball, medium range to deep ball, as anybody in the league. Number four. He's going to have a big year. Yes, number four, the New England Patriots, and they're going to move up at some point because Bill Belichick is the best coach to ever live. Number three, I, I don't get – I mean, did they drop out of the league, Kevin? I'm not quite sure why you didn't have them in your top five, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I didn't have them in my top five. I, I mean, I, that's a team – if I if I had to make a list of AFC teams I didn't want to play, the Jacksonville Jaguars would be one, and then the Kansas City Chiefs, my well, number two team, let me just, would be the other. Let me just – let me. I'm not going to amend my top five. I think Jacksonville's a better team than Kansas City. And we're going to find out this week. That's the game of the week. Right. Jacksonville uh, at Arrowhead to face the Chiefs. And so I'm looking forward to sort of watching that game Sunday. Hopefully that's the game on CBS, the 1 o'clock game. I, I have a feeling we'll get Ravens-Browns. Um, but, Tommy, the Chiefs are undefeated. And I guess I, I I just felt like I should I should have put Jacksonville at five. I should have. We are getting uh, Ravens Browns, by the way. Yeah, w- yeah, of course we are. Yeah, I, I should have put yeah, I was Jacksonville at, at five. But then I would have had the undefeated Chiefs out of my top five. Well, I think you're rating the Saints too high. Okay, uh, that, that that's the problem. And number one is the Rams. You're right. The consensus is the biggest consensus in America right now that the Los Angeles Rams are, 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 are the best team in the NFL. 
So that's my five. Um, couple teams to watch. I've mentioned Detroit recently. You know, they're right there with Dallas. I still think Detroit's like one of these very capable teams. And I'll give out right now an early smell test pick. I guarantee you I'm going to have the Lions plus, I think it's one at home against the Packers on Sunday. They're going to win that game outright. I just don't think there is... I think they're better than their record says, and I think they're a very capable team week in and week out. They haven't been embarrassed. Well, they were in the Monday night opener against the Jets, but since then they could have won any of the games they played in. Look, you've got to look at the Cleveland Browns and say, you know, at one, what are they, one, two, and one, could easily be 4-0. They were completely hosed at Oakland on Sunday. That was a win. That was a terrible replay overturn uh, of the Carlos Hyde run that should have been called a first down. Worst case is it was called a first down, and there wasn't enough conclusive video evidence to overturn it. And yet they moved the ball a half yard back, which made no sense to anybody that was watching it. Oakland gets the ball back. They score. They get the two-point conversion. They win in overtime. Cleveland should be 2-1-1 one, one at worst. Um, they've got defensive talent, even though they gave up all those points to Oakland. Uh, they have offensive, you know, they've got some weapons offensively. Jarvis Landry looks great. Wish the Redskins had spent the money or made the trade to get Landry. Uh, what a difference maker. Look, imagine the Redskins right now with Jarvis Landry as the, as the, the number one guy. Yeah. Cleveland is a good football team. I, I don't know how many games they're going to win because it takes a while to learn how to win clearly because they could be 4-0, but they're not their 1-2-1. But I, I will be surprised if they're not a 6 or 7 or 8. At this point, maybe not 8, but they're going to win 6 or 7 games this year. I also think that Atlanta is still very dangerous at 1-3. and three. I, I don't know. That's another one this weekend I, I, I like. Um, Atlanta plus 3. Uh, this weekend, I, I think that the Falcons clearly, you know, defensively they are struggling. So are the Chiefs. So are some other teams. But I like the Falcons offensively. Ridley's becoming a star. They've got two. Apparently, right now, the Falcons have two elite wide receivers on their team with a great running back situation with Freeman and Coleman and a terrific quarterback. Uh, but I, I like the Falcons. I think they are still and, and still will eventually be in the playoff hunt, if not a playoff team in the NFC. You know, the team that I, I would watch is the same team I said to watch last week. Uh, it's why Detroit is, is going to be home come the playoffs, the Chicago Bears. Chicago Bears and Mitch Neither one Mitch of us had, the, had them in the top five, even though a lot of people really like the Bears right now. Right. I, I wouldn't put them in the top five, but but like I said last week, that that would be my team team to watch moving forward. I mean, they've got the best defensive player in the league, and they have a young quarterback who's not getting any attention uh, because of Mahomes, but Trubisky, I think, is going to be pretty good for He's him. not the best defensive player in the league. He's the best pass rusher in the league. Khalil Mack. Well, Aaron, that's the Aaron, most important thing. Aaron, Aaron Donald the is the best import- defensive player in the, the league. The most important thing a defensive player can do is pass rush. He's great. It's the most. Distri- he, he's great. I'm not. Uh, you're right. I'm not going to debate okay. it. I'm just when you said it, I just I, there are there are some very good defensive players. I'll tell you, JJ Watt once again healthy is having a really good start to the season right now. But Aaron Aaron Donald's unblockable, yeah. and he is. To me, a, a, a more well all around great defensive player. All right, did, go did ahead. You, did you see that you have a chance 
to uh, maybe be right about something that you were wrong about? I shouldn't even bring this up. What, the Adrian Peterson thing? No, no, no. The Snyder no. thing? No, 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 no. I've, no. You're, I, you're never going to be right about the Snyder thing. No, but can that I, ship I go ahead. You, you just remind me to tell you about what Neil and Rockville texted me yesterday. Okay. Uh, the Redskins uh, signed Mac Brown again. <laughs> that was that was your long no, shot no, guy. Yes, no, it was. No, no, it wasn't. Oh, yes, it was. I picked Matt Ioannidis, <laughs> and you picked Mac Brown, and Mac Brown was off the team before you knew it. And my guy was starring on the defensive line, but I now Mac Brown is back, baby. I remember your pick. I don't remember my pick about Mac Brown. Well, of but course, I, you got but, it wrong. That's why you don't remember <laughs> well, it. Maybe that's the reason. But the 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 reason I I think that you might be right is because. I always talked about how Jay Gruden would go through all these running backs that weren't even on the roster talking about how great they are. And he does the same thing yes, he does. with guys like Byron Marshall and some of yes. these other guys. So this, what I was going to say to you is you came in here on Tuesday and you said, after you went on and on about Snyder's lack of involvement, et cetera, et cetera, and then, then Doug Williams you know, spouts off with Doc Walker about being reprimanded for bringing in Adrian Peterson for a workout. And we both missed on this. I think you're going to agree with me because Neil in Rockville, a good, good friend of both of ours, texted me and he said, look, this situation is different. Adrian Peterson, with his background and, his, and the recent issues with Adrian Peterson, that is a public relations issue that should be bounced off. Top management. What a bunch of crap all this is. Oh, yeah, I knew you'd take this oh, tack. And, I knew and, it. and I'll tell you I why. Because you want to know no. something? When he got signed, Kevin, and you weren't paying attention for this, the Washington Post, ESPN, uh, NBC4 Washington, uh, and the Washington Times all wrote stories about the Redskins signing him. Not one of them. Not one single media outlet that covers this team on their knees, I might want to point out mentioned that that Adrian Peterson had been suspended for six games for beating his son. Not one of them. I bet you did. I wrote a column <laughs> saying how yeah, embarrassed did. I was for my for my profession that it didn't even warn a sentence. Well, there you go. Not in not, there in, you not go. even I read about his that's, MVP that's season. That's why that's why Well they didn't have to there was that's, nothing to worry that, about. No, well there was. You you recognized it. You wrote about it. <laughs> yeah, Are not, you a nobody? But not any I other, mean no I mean nobody not, not many people read your paper. Not many read people about read it. your paper, but we all read you. Oh God. It's, now, it's, uh, this is such this is such baloney. This is such a, a pathetic way to explain away that Snyder is never gonna change. He's always going to be uh, involved. Look, I, I think it's an absolutely uh, it, it is a great point that neither one of us even thought about. And that is this was a player and you should have thought about it because you wrote the column. You should have said, you know what, Kevin? You're wrong, but in this particular situation bringing in Adrian Peterson, there was a potential in most cities PR risk that should have been bounced off the owner or the team president two before guys, doing it. Two guys who have the moral compass of a snake. It doesn't matter. Why would it they care? It, do, it doesn't matter. You're, that is you're, a, you're using the judgment of normal people on Bruce <laughs> Allen and Dan Snyder. Please. What I'm saying is that was likely the reason that they that you know Doug what? You're was reprimanded. My time now. Do you think it was the reason Doug was reprimanded? No. 
So what what was the reason? I just think it was because they brought in a high profile guy like Adrian Peterson and and Bruce and Dan didn't get to uh, slap themselves on the back and say it was their idea. That's a good point too. That's a good point. That's a possibility too. <laughs> All right, I'll see you on Tuesday, and when you're back on Tuesday, we will know yes, we will. what kind of season we'll the know. Redskins we'll are going to go We'll know a lot have. more about this team. Thanks to Aaron. Thanks to all of you. Uh, tomorrow is a football Friday, and I swear to God, I might have 18 or more <laughs> smell test picks. <laughs> <laughs>